0: Again, that's Friday evening at 7 p.m.
1: This is WJFF Jeffersonville and W233AH Monticello. Coming up next, Trailer Talk with Sabrina Artel.
0: Stay tuned. WJFF is currently seeking new board members. Perhaps you have experience in human resources, nonprofit administration, finance, marketing, media, or you just love your community radio station and you want to do a bit more, call us to see if becoming a board member is a good fit for you. 845-482-4141 or email manager at wjffradio.org. Welcome to Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. I'll bring you all kinds of stories from all kinds of people. Whether it's a live public conversation and we're speaking from the kitchen table of my 1965 Beeline travel trailer, from the studios or on the streets, please sit back and enjoy the conversation right here this time every week. The following road session is from Confluence People, Places, Stories, the Upper Delaware River Watershed, self guided, place based audio tours the common waters partnership says this about the upper delaware river watershed the delaware river is a vital economic and recreational resource basin wide systems of forests streams and wetlands provide habitat for many important wildlife species it is the only undammed river east of the mississippi and provides drinking water to over 15 million people including the cities of new york and philadelphia this exceptional waterway is threatened by development. In the last two decades, approximately 20 acres of forest are lost each day in the upper basin. The following conversation takes place in the Upper Delaware River watershed. This is all so
1: industrial. It really is. Hmm. Um, What machine is this? Oh, this is an old machine. This is from out of the 20s. I use this mostly, I have a a, a, a miter stone that I use. My name is Kathy Lutournis. I live in Holly, Pennsylvania, where my studio is, and I am a stone wheel glass cutter. Kathy, what does that mean that you're a stone wheel glass cutter? What is this art? Well, unfortunately, the term glass cutting or glass cutter has been misinterpreted many, many times. I actually work on a spinning stone wheel that is functioned by a motor. I apply glass to the top of the rotating stone, and by creating different shapes on the top of the stone, I can create
0: different cuts. How did you become interested in glass cutting?
1: Truthfully, I was born into it. My family has been in the glass artistry business for, actually I'm the seventh generation glass worker. My ancestors were brought over from Alsace, France around the mid-1800s, I think it was right around 1863. They were um, brought to work in one of the largest glass factories in the country at the time, the Dorflinger Glass Factory in White Mills, which is the town right near us. And I grew up in White Mills. My father was a glass cutter, and I actually trained with him. I did uh, what would be considered a, a proper
0: apprenticeship. Glass cutting
1: itself,
0: if you could describe what that is, what this art form is, this craft, it seems to me, as you mentioned, you're the seventh generation in your family
1: in glass artistry. All of, the, all of my ancestors prior to my father were uh, glassblowers. And a glass blower is someone who actually takes uh, molten glass on the end of a, a, a blowing rod, and they shape and form the glass, and uh, using a, a, a kiln or an oven. So all of my ancestors prior to to my dad were all glass blowers. My grandfather did also work as a glass etcher, which is an acid process of decorating the, these blank glass pieces but glass cutting, I guess the best way to describe what I do would be to literally take you through the steps. I take a hand-blown form uh, of plain glass, and we've always preferred to work on uh, nice quality lead crystal. Today in the United States, uh, it is no longer allowed to use um, red lead in the glass making, but they have come up with great batches of glass now that are non-lead form and still have beautiful clarity and um, have the same wonderful properties that uh, leaded crystal has had in the past. And so I take a blank piece of glass and I bring it to my work table. Usually prior to this, I have an idea in my head of what would work on any particular shape or the particular shape I'm working on and I hand, maybe draw out uh, some basic ideas on paper. Then I take uh, a quilt pen with a mixture of, um, we use, I use latex paint and water and usually add a little bit of dish detergent to make it flow. I start drawing on the glass piece itself with this paint. Patterns have to be marked out very specifically so that lines would meet. If it has to, uh, if it's a cylindrical piece, the piece has to meet at the end you know Mm. so that's always important and uh, there are ways of uh, doing that to to make sure that the marking is going to be um, cohesive and and um, gonna work on the piece so I draw the pattern out in the basic pattern and then that's when I take it to the stone wheels and usually say if I'm working on a floral design that's gonna have flower and stem and leaves you can kinda picture that in your mind what I do then is I usually start out by cutting my flowers and I'll cut all the flowers or what, and I would use a rounded stone to cut that. And then from there, I would I would cut into the glass and to do the stem. And I'm literally building that flower, building that design each step at a time.
0: Sitting in your studio, I see the machines here that you work with and I'm looking at a work in progress. Could you take us through this piece, this vase that I'm looking at that, If you could describe what I'm seeing here and and the process.
1: Well... As you can already see, some of the piece has been worked on. It has some cutting on it already. It is uh, truly a work in progress. I have been working on this on and off in the last couple of years, actually. So you can still see the markings. You can see where I divided the piece into three sections. Okay, even sections so that they're they're going to uh, the piece is going to flow properly around the piece. This is a, a really is a beautiful uh, blank. It's a what we would consider a, a barrel type of uh, vase, and it's very thick. Um, for cutting, so I've got I've got lots of depth to work with if I chose to, and it's a floral design with a, a pretty elaborate border on the top, which I've I've never done. This is a one of a kind piece, and so what I've done is I've drawn out my stems from where my flowers are going to be, and all of my leaf work, and I've got some full flowers and some smaller buds on it. And so what I've done first is I have done all of the flower work, okay. This particular flower is not just one where you would actually set the piece right on the stone and leave it there or rock it back and forth. This is kind of all grayed in and, and shaded in. And once my flowers and my buds are all done, this pattern on the top which I wouldn't even know how to describe. Uh, <laughs> I told you it's unique. This has been done basically the same way with the round stone. Then what I've done is I've changed stones, and I've used what's called a miter stone, which means it comes to a sharp point at the top. Okay, one sharp middle, middle um, point. And that's what creates, by taking the piece of glass and setting the, setting the glass on the stone, and then you have to travel with it. And that's a learned experience as well. That doesn't come all that easily. What I do is I've done all my stem work and then I've done the outline for some of my leaf work. And you can see here, I'm using a very, very uh, much finer one. I'm starting the uh, stamen for the flowers here. That is about as far as I've gotten on this piece.
0: What is your relationship to glass and to working with it in this way as you are cutting and as a glass cut artist?
1: Well, I would imagine that most people would think that, you know, pieces would shatter in my hands from time to time or that it could be somewhat of a love-hate relationship because it's it's something that can do you harm, obviously, in its uh, most unpleasant condition. I think the thing that amazes me most about what I do is that if you look at my machinery, which we're here in, our, in my studio, as you said, And it is all hard metal and and crude and all very industrial looking. And then you take this piece of glass that is going to be turned into something really lovely and pretty to look at. And it's so fascinating to believe that this comes from that.
0: (laughs) What are the
1: different kinds of cuts? The different stones that we we turn up our stones, and when I say stones they 're a flat disc with a hole in the center, and then what we 've done is we have leaded the center and matched it to a, a threading, okay, so we can turn our spin our stones on and off of each spindle, okay, and the spindle is the part that holds the stone, and that 's attached to the pulley and the motor and all of that, and that 's how it gets its motion there are three or four basic types of shapes of stones or or how we shape in our stones. The round stone is the stone that is soft and rounded on the top, on the edge of the stone. That is the the cut that actually makes the flower petals or would make a round dot, okay? So if you can imagine that, you can imagine that if you take that round dot that you've applied the glass uh, to the stone and you've created that, then if you rock it back and forth, then you can get an oval. That is one shape of stone. And then also we can do some graying and and we can sort of travel with that. And that's how I have gotten this this shape of leaf, okay? I've expanded on that that round cut. The second cut that we do is what I mentioned before is the miter. And the miter meaning a a sharp point, okay? I have them in various size stones and various degrees of miter. By doing that, I can create the stems, or long thin lines, or I could create a star. I could create uh, the center of a star. And geometric patterns, or as they were always referred to as miter patterns, that's how those designs were created. Now, the next stone would be the low miter, and that's what creates these, um, they have a sharp center, but then they have a soft, rounded side. So you can imagine if, if the stone had a point in the center, but it was not nearly as high a sharp point, then you would get, get this type of cut. And the last stone, which we have modified in the last years, would have been called an edge stone. And that's the stone that would have come up on two sides and had a f- sort of rounded center, but two points. And that's the stone that would create cuts like you would use one side of sharp edge or the other to create sort of a full leaf design.
0: These cuts, you know, this art form has so much motion. I'm noticing as you're sharing these pieces with me. Well, you know, the motion part
1: is what I have developed through the years. That is something that just It's not a learned thing. It's it's either something you have with you, but you also need to encourage it. You need to improve on it my dad always mentioned that my flower work had more of a flow than his ever did. I disagree with that because I, you know, I'm his greatest fan. To me his work was far superior and yet he always felt that I was able to to create I don't know whether it's it's the the female in me or what, but um that motion, that look of nature that nature had doesn't just come, you really have to you have to uh, you know, take it. I've been doing this for 40 years. <laughs>
0: So, so Kelly, you've been doing this
1: for 40 years. <laughs> I have been years. cutting. I've, yes, I think I'm into my 41st year. And yes. why
0: did you want to become a glass cutter?
1: I always knew. I knew very, very young. Art has always appealed to me. I always did well in school and art. I was the kid that would sit and draw rather than do something else.
0: Is it unusual that you are a woman and you became a glass cutter? In the sense that, yes, years ago, of
1: course, there are so few cutters left across the country. It's hard to say how many cutters... At all are left, male or female, there were no female glass cutters back at the turn of the century at the, at the height of the brilliant period of, of cutting. There were no women now. women were used in the etching process uh because they felt that that was more delicate work, and so uh, they would be hired to do that type of work for the most part, there were two different uh, cutting shops in these big factories. And I mentioned the Dorflinger glass factory before. These big glass factories cutting uh, factories would have either a heavy wares or a light wares. And what we do today is what we co- what is considered light cutting, opposed to the heavy deep, Brilliant cut glass.
0: When you told your father your father is Ray Laturnus. Yes, right? he is. And he was the sixth generation, you're the seventh yes. that is working with glass, that right. is a glass cut artist. What was his response and how did you begin
1: Initially, uh, as a young girl, I would I would pester him to sit down and cot. And once in a while, he would find a stone that he felt he could sacrifice. Our stones are always very precious to us. I guess you would compare them to a jeweler's tools or whatever. There, There are there are precious tools, as well as the machinery itself. But um, with the stones, you know, if a stone is ruined, a stone can be cracked and and no longer be of any use. So our stones are very precious. And once in a while, he would find a stone that he felt maybe he could, he could uh, live without. And so he would sit me down at the machine and I would I would cut, I think my first piece I probably cut when I was 8 or 10 years old, and believe it or not, I do still have it. (laughs) I don't know why. Oh, I'd love to see it. It's pretty primitive, but that's okay. But anyway, um, as I started into my teenage years, um, our high school was uh, very near where the the shop that my mother and father opened, and uh, I was able to get off of the school bus at the uh, stop where our shop was, and so I would take the school bus and, and um, um, show up at the shop many, many, many days of the week. Where and was the shop? It was it was on Wellwood Avenue in Hawley, which is um, between the town of Hawley and Lake Warren Pulpec. I would show up, and uh finally he started to realize that, you know, I was either going to be a nuisance to him, or else he was going to so show some encouragement, <laughs> and so he, he would start me out with little things, and actually, I think, really, a lot of the first work that I did was polishing the pieces, and that polishing, when I say polishing, it's, uh, polishing is to bring the grade-toned cuts back to, a uh, more of a clear look to the glass, and, um with light cutting you only want to emphasize little areas to kind of give a highlight to it okay if it's polished if a light cutting is polished completely then it's referred to as rock crystal because it, it that's what it appears to be like almost like an ice cube. He would have me polishing for a while and then you know just uh, set me up with a machine once in a while and I would start to uh, cut some different designs and he always felt it was important for me not to to allow me the creativity to develop my own patterns and from my point of view I felt the same way but only because I felt it was not uh, right or fair to him to be copying his designs as
0: well. And what distinguishes your designs, your patterns, from, for instance, your father's?
1: To be truly honest, I'm sure whatever we have done, it has been done in the past. Because there were just literally hundreds and hundreds of patterns and designs done by just, say, one company alone. Whatever design we may come up with, I'm sure it's been done in in some way or to some degree in the past. As I mentioned before, Dad always felt that my botanicals had a, a different, little different flow to them than his did. He did, by far, many more uh, geometric designs that appealed to him more than it did to me, although I've done my fair share of them. Dad was uh, best known for a butterfly pattern that he had, had designed, and um, it was, um, there were customers and friends who chose nothing but the butterfly pattern to collect or to uh, give as gifts. A lot of the the designs I do have absolutely no florals in them and are just leaf work. Uh, Many of my customers favorite designs as
0: well. And what does it feel like to be sitting at that stone, to be sitting at the machine? I'm interested in in what that process is for you. You know that's
1: interesting because no one has ever really asked me that Cutting is not what most people expect it to feel like. It's a lot of muscle. It's hard. It's delicate, but in a very strong, controlled way. If that makes any sense, you're dealing with a uh, machine-operated motion, so that takes the control away from you right away. So you you're the one that really has to stay in control of that of that moving stone, that rotating stone. All right. I've had, even my husband had sat down and he said, you know, you just make it look so easy. Well, anyone who is proficient at their at their craft, yes, that's and what you, they're supposed to do, right? Right, and you <laughs> mentioned 40 years
0: already you've been doing this. Yeah. How does glass cutting, being a glass cut artist, how does that connect you to your father, Ray Latournis? How does it connect you to where we are now in your home in Holly, Pennsylvania, to this area? I've never been disconnected
1: in that sense it it is it is so much a part of my life that I can't imagine not having all of this I grew up with it my dad's mother and father lived across the street we grew up in a workman's house uh, in White Mills there were there were little workman's cottages that were built on uh, Charles Street I grew up in one of those homes I grew up Watching you know my grandfather work. I grew up watching my dad work. I became very connected with uh, the the history of Dorflinger and um, Because our shop was not just our own work, but my dad also was uh, one of the leading um, brilliant period authorities in the, the country and he dealt in buying and selling antique glass And so I was connected to it in that way. I learned patterns and designs, and I learned a great deal about how these pieces were made. There is just such a connection in the extension of my life, my home and everything, to the history of glass in this area. With us today, people ask, well, are you training anyone? And there again, just as my father was put in the position of not knowing whether someone like myself was going to be committed to taking five or six or seven years to really stay with it, to learn it, and to be giving up some of the most important you know, components to his livelihood, meaning the machinery and the stones and all that. I'm in the same position today. I have people that they're fascinated and they'd like to learn how to cut, but they would like to learn how to cut in a few days. For me to... To make the commitment, I would really have to find someone who really, really wants to pass this on. What I do is, now you see these little sun catchers here? Yes. When I sit down to do a piece, I want it to be the best work I've ever done. It's not about doing that one great spectacular piece. It's always about when I sit and when I take that glass to the wheel, I want it to be my best work. To me, that's as important as anything. I don't want to be remembered for doing
0: shoddy work, even if it's a a little tiny piece of glass. Because we're looking at these delicate sun catchers mm-hmm. right now with these could be described as snowflakes
1: designs yes. okay and that's what they're oftentimes uh, related to as a matter of fact
0: I've been doing a series now for the last four or five years for the holidays you're one of the few people left in the country certainly uh, how many women I'm very interested in that as well I don't only ever heard of one
1: other woman And I believe she was actually an engraver, and that's something I can touch on, too. The terms engraving, etching, and cutting, they're not just terms, they're actual techniques. Someone who etches glass is always working in an acid form, all right? And they use uh, templates and stencils, okay? and there's an area that's waxed out, okay, so that the acid can't eat through the glass, and the area that hasn't been is where the, where the acid is applied, and that's how the design is created. An engraver works on either stone wheels or copper wheels, and they always work, well, they work under the wheel, and they usually work on very tiny little stones. Copper wheels, oil and carborundum is dripped onto them, and that's the cutting agent. With the stones, the stones actually do the cutting and water's dripped on to keep the moisture and keep it flowing well. And a cutter works on top of the stone, which means I look through the glass and I set the glass on the top of the stone to get my cut.
0: And I'm wondering if there's something you wanted to share with us about this connection between the past, the present and the future.
1: I'm here doing this today because of the ancestors that Christian Dorflinger brought over. As the stories told, Christian Dorflinger had three glass factories in the Brooklyn area of New York, and the story is told that his health was declining, and he had come to the Pennsylvania country to regain his health. As he did, he became restless and then decided to open this factory in in White Mills. He found that you know, there were a lot of workers, but not skilled workers. So he sent back to France and he brought three families over who he had worked with at the St. Louis factory. The one family was the Lutz family, the one family was the Schultz family, and the other family was the Latournes family. And these were all uh, skilled glassblowers, and they're referred to as master gaffers. These men brought their families with them. My great, great great grandfather was one of them and so that's how our family was established in white mills and it was then his son and then his son and then my grandfather who became continued on with the glass blowing craft then my grandfather who also had a very small uh glass blowing shop right across the street from where i grew up as i mentioned on charles street he had uh, dabbled in glass blowing but actually he had worked um as a very young boy, they would bring these young twelve-year-olds in to do a polishing and, and various jobs. By the time he was old enough, I believe the factory, the main factory, had closed. But there was a man by the name of Carl Prosch who had been the foreman of the etching company, and that was actually it was a subsidiary of Dorflinger, and it was called the Hunsdale Decorating Company, and that was located in Hunsdale. My grandfather Charles and his brother Alec worked for Carl Proche and that's where he learned his etching skills. And I believe one of his sisters, Clara, also worked in the etching factory. That is how I found out that women were were active to some degree in the glass, mm-hmm. uh, glass process. My grandfather decided in the late 50s, I believe it was, to open his own uh, shop uh, between Holly and White Mills. He had asked my dad, would you be interested in learning to cut? He thought it would add some nice variety to his etched work. And so my dad had talked to a couple of the old cutters who were left. But for the most part, there again, dad grew up around glass too. So he had a great concept and understanding of the properties of glass and all and was familiar with so many of the Dorflinger designs and all. And and so he, and there again, very artistic. It, very gifted and so he sat down and was just determined to learn to cut and I can't tell you how proud I am of the work that he has produced and what his legacy literally his his work that's been left behind very very impressive
0: and as you speak about your father Ray Latournus, as you worked together he trained you you apprenticed with him for a number of years and you have been now a glass-cut artist for 40 years. It also feels like this is uh, its such a deep familial connection as well that you're expressing when you're sitting at these stones. I have
1: the utmost respect for my father, but he and I developed just this incredible, wonderful uh, love of our work and a, and a great bond. One thing that always comes to mind when he was working with me, he would help me, He would give me suggestions, but he would give me the freedom to make mistakes or to learn on my own. And the one thing he always uh, repeated over and over again was the fact that I needed to get to learn the feel of the wheel. And that sounds so very simplistic, but there's so much to that. The time that Dad and I spent, and we literally would sit side by side at the machines, and talk all day or not talk. We had developed um, just an incredible, wonderful relationship uh, and respect. We just got along beautifully, really. Our relationship as co-workers and, and you know and father and daughter uh, are rare, I'm sure. Like I said, this is all so industrial. It's how, it really is. I, I still am fascinated by the fact that uh, this is an old machine, this is from out of the 20s, and I use this mostly, I have a, a, a miter stone that I use, there you go. This machine uh, came out of uh, one of the old cutting shops down near Middletown, New York, uh, Newburgh actually I think it was, and I think this machine dates to the very early 20s, yeah. And uh, it's a very, very sturdy, uh, heavy-duty machine that I, I use. I do almost all my round cuts on this stone, on this uh, machine. And uh, you know the old uh, saying is they don't make them like they used to? Well, this is a prime example of that because this is a wonderful, wonderful machine. It has uh, served me at, and my dad well for many, many years. You're hearing the machine itself, but when you hear the stone applied to it, it's a completely different sound. Uh, some find it very uncomfortable.
0: <laughs> I'm speaking with Kathy Latournis. We are in Holly, Pennsylvania in Kathy's studio. She's a stone wheel glass cutter, a glass cut artist. Thank you. From the kitchen table, out on the road, I'm Sabrina Artell. To find out more about Confluence, please visit www.confluencevoices.com. Thanks for joining me for Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. The music for the show, Patti Smith, People Have the Power. Trailer Talk is produced by Sabrina Artell with assistant producer, Babe Howard. For more information, please visit trailertalk.net. Thank you all who joined me in these conversations. I'm Sabrina Artel. Safe travels. Emmanuel Ax performs Haydn's Piano Concerto No. 11 and the Capriccio for Piano and Orchestra by Stravinsky on our next Philharmonic broadcast. I'm Alec Baldwin. Please join me for a program that will also include the First and 41st Symphonies by Mozart.